0: So, I went to a wedding yesterday. Guys, does your wife do this? Come home, get out of my suit. I hardly ever wear a suit anymore. Lay it on the foot of the bed. What do you say, ladies? Are you going to hang that up? I said, I'm wearing it tomorrow. <laughs> Why would I? You know? <laughs> so, I had to wear it today. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I may have it on next week. It's just according to what the end of the bed looks like when we get home. Uh, turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, turn there. I hope you bring your Bibles when you come to church. Uh, we always had the Scripture for you to see, and that's mainly so you can get it in your notes and not have to uh, try to get it as we go through some Scripture. But uh, I want you to remember one thing this morning, because if you miss this one thing, you're kind of going to miss out on... The whole story of King Saul, and just remember Saul is God's representative here, okay, so when we see Saul I mean Samuel, I'm sorry, Samuel is God's representative, so some of this stuff we' we'll, we're reading about Saul, and we're talking about Samuel hadn't showed up, and uh Saul did a burnt offering, and Samuel showed up and Uh, Just remember, Samuel is God's representative, okay? If we go, and we don't have time to do all this, but if we go all the way back and remember God is Israel's king, and and Israel said, we want a king. We don't want you, God. We want kings. And that's where we see kings, the book of kings. So God said, okay, I have a better plan. I was listening to the radio this week, and I, I listened to... Uh, in the mornings, I listen to WAP. But coming home, I, I catch two or three different radio stations. And I was listening. I wish I had written this down because a preacher was talking, and he said God's word says this. And he said, but here at this certain church, we found a better way. And he started telling, and and that boy that caught my ear. You did not find a better way than God's plan. I promise. And if you think you have, you are in a terrible uh, era with your thinking because God's plan is perfect, okay? Uh, now, I can't remember all the settings because I was really not listening that much. Uh, it was just kind of playing. But when I heard, we found a better plan. And that's what Saul did. And we're going to talk about a slippery soap uh, this morning. Uh, and And one of the saddest things to me to see is uh is someone who appears to be a christian uh and they fall into sin or apostasy they just fall away in other words uh they they get to the point in sin and they just don 't care they don 't care about the church they don 't care about serving the lord they don 't really care about spiritual matters anymore and uh now I want to make this clear. I said someone who seemed to be a Christian. I, I've seen this happen several times. I've seen uh, someone who starts the race well, and uh, boy, they're they're going and they're uh, they're on a straight and there, and then all of a sudden they start to deviate off that. They start uh, getting off the straight and there, and they start going this direction and that direction, and ends up destroying themselves or shipwrecking their faith or. Something along those lines. So today we're going to be looking at one of the clearest examples of that. I think that we find in Scripture. We're going to uh, look, and and I, I said this in prayer a while ago. Ask the Lord to search our hearts. Now that's in Second Corinthians thirteen, chapter five. You don't have to turn there, but here's what Paul says. He says, "Examine yourselves to see or to test that you're in the faith." He says, "Test yourselves." or you do not, do not realize these things about yourself, is Jesus Christ in you, and test yourself, examine yourself, unless you fail to meet the test. So, Scripture says, hey, Christians uh, occasionally, and folks occasionally, we need to examine ourselves. See if we're really in the faith, and see if we really trust in God. So if you will, uh, and you're in 1 Samuel chapter 13, now I'm going to read quite a bit this morning. Y'all know how I struggle reading, okay? So uh, uh, I'm going to start in verse 1, and no, I'm not either. I'm going to jump down to verse 5, praise the Lord. So I I won't start in verse 1. But 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, let's start in verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel, With 3,000 chariots, now these numbers are listed for a purpose and a reason. They're assembled together to fight Israel, the Philistines. With 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So there's thousands of people there, thousands of Philistines, and they have gathered to fight Israel. Okay, that's the picture. Saul is the king. Who is Samuel? He's God's representative. He's the priest. You can just maybe that'll help you remember. He's God's representative. He's the priest. But they've they've gathered together. They've come to fight. I I, I think uh I think we have to back up to verse two. I'm sorry. Saul chose three thousand men of Israel. 2,000 were with him, and 1,000 uh, were with Jonathan, his son, okay? So now we're back where we were at. All of these uh, Philistines have gathered around. Uh, they, they went up to Michmash and, uh, to, to make war. They camped there at Michmash, east of Beth-haven. And when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed... They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and the pits and the cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul remained at Gilead and the troops were there and they were quaking with fear. So here we have the Philistines coming down, the army that Saul has. They see the Philistines, they panic, they go and hide. Did you see that even in cisterns? I mean, they've jumped off in wells to hide from this army. Saul flees over to Gilead, and he stays there. The troops are with him. They're quaking with fear. They're shaking with fear. In verse 8, he, Saul, waited seven days. Uh, The time was set by Samuel, God's spiritual man, God's representative. But Samuel didn't come to Gilead. And Saul's men began to scatter. They began to run. They got scared. They're already scared, but here's, here's Samuel. Don't even show up. Well, Saul ain't even supposed to be there. You know, he's done fled where he's supposed to be. So Samuel's men began to scatter in verse 9. So he says to me, This is Saul, says, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up a burnt offering just as he finished making the offering. Samuel showed up. So Saul says, all right, Samuel's not going to show up. We're going to do this ourselves. We, he brought the burnt offering. He said, bring it to me. I'm going to take care of these things. And Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel said, Saul, what would you do? What have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and I saw that you hadn't come at the set time, and I saw that the Philistines were assembled at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilad, and I sought the Lord's favor. I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to go and uh, uh, offering a burnt offering. So uh, Saul says, hey, I saw you weren't here. My men started running. I realized I was out of fellowship with God, so I just did it myself. Samuel answered and said, You acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandments the Lord your God had given you. And if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. See, Saul was God's anointed king. And and Samuel said, "You You didn't make God the head of your home. You didn't make God the head of the kingdom. If you had... God would have established your kingdom over all of Israel for all time. But verse 14 says, but you, uh, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man that's after his own heart and appointed him as leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandments. And then we, we'll we stop right there. So Saul ends up leaving. But this is the picture here. Samuel uh, we're, we're looking at this example of someone who, who began to, a slippery slide down a slippery slope, however you want to put that. and uh, Saul is going to be a great king. God's anointed him as great king. God used Samuel, his representative, his priest, to anoint Saul as king over Israel. and uh, he became a king and he had peace for two years. In other words, everything was going great. It looked like he was going to be a successful king. Saul had done everything God wanted him to do. He was following God. God was blessing his kingdom. Everything looked like it was going to be a success. Then he mustered up an army. And he says, we're going to go fight the enemies of Israel just as God had told Joshua. You know, God said, Joshua, I'm going to deliver you. You're going to everywhere you go, you're going to have victory. you go into the promised land. I'm going to give you victory over all of these things. So Saul's got his army up. He's going to rage war against the enemies of Israel. And and initially, it looked like uh, Saul was the guy that God was going to bless, that God was going to work through. But when you stand against the enemies of God, listen, church, when we stand against the enemies of God, they don't like it, okay? Not only do they not like it, Satan doesn't like it. Now, if you would say this morning, we talked about hell the last couple of weeks, and I said, if you don't believe in hell, don't believe in heaven, don't believe in God. If you don't believe in Satan, don't believe in God. Because if you'd say Satan's just that red guy with a pitchfork that I used to watch on Saturday morning in cartoons, well, that's not Satan, okay? He's looking to devour the church of God. He's looking to kill, destroy all he can to be with God. So when Saul begins to take a stand against the enemies of God, against the enemies of God's people, they didn't like it so much that they said, we're going to mobilize an army. And it's going to be a vast army. This is the Philistines. And we're going to wipe Israel out. We're going to wipe them off the mount because they are God's chosen people. So this is what we see. Now, back in Bible times, and it's true today, uh, sinners don't want to be told they're sinning. Okay? You know what the Bible says about end times? The Bible says in end times, people will seek out preaching our churches are preachers that soothe their itching ears you know what that means they want somebody to say hey everything is going to be good god wants to bless you god wants you to have the best of everything i agree with all of that god does want to bless us he does want us to to serve him but it comes down to this that's being obedient to god That's not just saying, you know, there's not going to be some tough times. If a preacher's telling you there's not going to be any tough times, you're getting lied to, okay? Because as Christians, the Bible says we're going to face persecution, we're going to have hard times, we're going to have hard days, but God is going to deliver us from that hour of His wrath. He doesn't say we've got a, boy, look at Paul's life. If you want to say, well, I don't really believe that. I'd rather hear this, this uh, preaching of everything's going to be great. Look at what Paul went through. Beat, whipped, prison, shipwrecked. Paul dealt with all of those things. Look at the apostles. All of them but one was Beheaded. You think they had a better roses, they light they laid him. We, we as Christians need to understand that Satan is going to attack those who are doing God's work. Now, I want to add this. If you would say this morning, you know, Satan doesn't bother me. You may be on the same road with him. In other words, you're not meeting him anywhere. You're going right along with him. So why would he bother you? He's got right, you're going in a pretty good direction. I'm not, I'm not going to mess with you. So Again, look at this. The, 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 the king Saul, he's chosen an army just as God told him. He, he's got a couple, of, a couple of thousand men and, and he's going to go and he looks and there's 30,000 chariots, there's 6,000 horsemen, there's all of these troops and they all go and they box in Saul and his men. Now think about this for a second. They are vastly outnumbered. They are terribly outnumbered. He only has 2,000 men. Jonathan, his son, has 1,000, but even if he could get there in time, they would still be outnumbered by over 30,000 men. So they're vastly outnumbered. Christians today, we are vastly outnumbered. Now, we may not be outnumbered when when Barna does his poll and 75% of people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But when it comes down to truly being a Christian, truly following God, we are vastly outnumbered. And so here's Saul, and and this is where Saul made his first mistake. Don't miss this. He began to look at the physical reality instead of the spiritual reality. You remember what Peter did when he got out of the boat and started walking on the water? The Bible says he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, and the Bible says he saw the waves, and he began to doubt. What did he do? He went from the spiritual reality of living a miracle to the physical reality of i'm walking on the water and he saw the wind and he saw the waves and that's what saul did god said you know what saul i have a great plan for you i'm going to deliver the philistines to you but saul looked around and saw the enemies of god He didn't see the spiritual reality, and because of things, it made uh, absolutely no difference how many troops the Philistines had. The Bible says this in Romans 8, 13, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, Saul missed that. Folks, we need to understand as Christians, if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says, you know what? My dad is greater than your dad and all the dads in the world. That's what the Bible says. That's my loose translation. But we need to understand if God is for us, the first problem here is, is leads Saul to all these other problems. He looks at the physical challenge rather than the spiritual reality. And that first problem is this. He didn't trust in the Lord. He didn't wait on the Lord. He simply trusted in Saul. He said, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hand." Now listen, church, God is sovereign. You know what that means? He's not subject to anything. He's not subject to our government today. He's not subject to the war that's taking place. He's not subject to all the things you're hearing the news about China and all of these things. Matter of fact, he told us in his word, this is going to happen. He says, Hey, when these things start happening, you would be, if you've never studied prophecy, you'll be surprised how many things are coming to pass right now that God said, Hey, be aware these things are coming. But God is sovereign. He's not surprised by those things. He's not conquered by those things. Our God is an almighty God, and He has a perfect plan. Isn't that great? Do you believe that? Say amen. God has a perfect plan for you and for the church, and it's not going to fail. When he told Peter on this on this rock, "I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell are not prevail. It's not going to fall, folks." We need to understand that God has a plan. He tells us in Philippians 4:13, He's working all of these things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He doesn't say all these things are good. He says He's working these things for the good. For the church, for those who love Him are called according to His purpose. And those people that I mentioned a little while ago, they've shipwrecked their faith. They've, they've gone away. They, they've they decided, hey, I can't trust God. And that's where they start to slide down that slope. And that's where we as Christians begin to slide down that slope. They'll never say initially, I don't trust God in this. I, I bet you've never, you may have, but I doubt that you've ever, ever heard anybody say, you know what? I don't trust God. Most of them say, oh, I trust God. Most of them would say when the preacher says, God has a perfect plan, we'll say, amen. I agree, but, but do we really trust God? That's where Saul was and by their actions we see that so many don't trust God. Instead of trusting the Lord and waiting on the Lord, they say, you know what, I'm going to just take matters in of my own hand. I'm going to act in my own hand. That's exactly what Saul does here. Samuel hasn't sewn up, so Saul decides that he's going to take matters into his own hand, and, and he goes against what God's Word clearly says. Now, when we read this, for me, I think, well, what did, what did Saul do that's so bad? I mean, all he did was say, hey, I'm out of fellowship with God, I'm going to make a burnt offering to God. The problem that Saul, his problem was this, that wasn't God's plan. Matter of fact, that wasn't God's words. That wasn't God's directions. Saul just decided, hey, I've got to do something. I'm controlling my own destiny. This isn't working out like God said it was supposed to. Samuel's not here. He was supposed to be here. we got this vast army. They're fixing to whoop us all and kill us and wipe us out. So i got to take things into my own hand. That was his first area of slipping at that point he begins to sin he begins to disobey god's clear commandments that were in scripture now we could go back and look up all of these things in scripture where god says here's the plan for a burnt offering here's who gives the burnt offering he he laid all of that down in the old law in the old testament so what we don't really understand today we would understand if we were ground in the the law of the old testament we would understand that hey this is god's plan so right after saul does this isn't this amazing I mean, he still smelled like ash. You know, he, he's over there making this burnt offering, and he turns around and goes, Oh, Samuel, hi, how are you today? And Samuel said, What are you doing, Saul? What, what are you doing? And isn't it interesting how many times we just blame that on somebody else? Well, Samuel, you didn't show up when you were supposed to. Therefore, I just had to, I just had to take things on my own because God, God's timing wasn't right. What did we say a while ago? What did Samuel mess up? He didn't wait on the Lord. He said, well, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I've got my own time frame. This needs to happen now. And at that point and moving forward, Paul begins to, uh, Saul begins to slip little by little by little by little. More and more he begins to slip away from God. And Romans chapter 1 actually sheds some light on this for us. It explains that when a man begins to reject God, when we begin to say, okay, God, here's my plan. I have a better plan. You know what God does? He'll convict us about it. But finally, he'll say, okay, go ahead. And God slowly begins to take his hands away from that person. And God says, hey, this is what you want. You know, when, we, when the Bible says we're made in God's image, what does he give us? The ability to think, the ability to make decisions, the ability to choose right and wrong? So when we begins to choose uh, the world over God, and he says, okay, if that's what you want, he'll convict us, he'll woo us, he'll call us into himself, but if we just persist, he said, Romans says this, God finally gave them over to the evil desires. God said, okay, that's what you want. You've you've denied me, you've denied me, you've denied me, I'm going to give you over to your desires. How many times did he do that to Israel? in the In the old covenant, you know, Israel would be following God and they would sin against God and God would put them in captivity they would confess to God, God would bring them out of captivity, make them a great nation, and then they would go back away from God again, start worshiping idols, and they'd go back into slavery, and they would confess, and they'd come back to God. Well, we're in the new age now, we're in the church age, we're in the new covenant, the New Testament, but God still says, all right, you, you make your choice, you go over and over and over and follow in following sin, I'm going to allow you to move on that. If he, if he just put us back in order with no choice, and all of a sudden, we're not, we're not choosing to follow God. We're, we're just following God because we don't have any other way to think. That's not what God does. So God pulls His hands away from that person who's given over and over and over and more and more and more of the nature of sin and thinking. Their thinking becomes darkened. Their judgment becomes clouded. Their behavior becomes more and more sinful. And it's a progressive slide away from God. You know what? I've seen that a couple times. Here's how it is. This is something I've seen, with, and don't even try to figure this out because I wasn't even in this neighborhood. I was, I was miles and miles from here. A guy actually uh, was married. He was a Christian guy. He claimed to be a Christian guy. I think he is a Christian guy. He got a girlfriend. He, he slid so far away from where God wanted him that he told his wife, hey, if you just meet her, if you just get to know her, you'd love her too. Can you believe that it didn't work out quite that way, but listen, do you see the progression hey i'm I'm right where God wants me to be, and then, hey, I'm kind of getting off the road hey I, I'm getting a little farther, I'm getting a little farther, I'm getting a little farther, and finally, you're over here and you think hey this is this is better, this is a better plan god i have I have a better idea, I have a better way, I have a better plan and and just actually it's foolishness it's wickedness it's rebellion, it's sin and God says you know what ultimately I'll just turn you over and turn it over now turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15 I got 10 minutes now, we, might, we might get pretty close so this is progression First Samuel 15 we'll start in verse 1 this time Samuel said to Saul, uh, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord God Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now this is, this is Samuel, God's representative, remember, He's talking to Saul, God's king, and he says, okay, Saul, this is God's going to deliver these people to you. Here's God's word. Here's exactly what God wants you to do. He's going to punish the Amalekites because when when the children of Israel come up out of Egypt, they waylaid them, okay? So verse 3, I want you to listen carefully or read along carefully. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. He said, wipe them out. Everything that belongs to them, destroy it. Don't spare them. Put to death every man, every woman, all the children, all the infants, all the cattle, all the sheep, All the camels and all the donkeys. Wipe them out, all of them. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Man, kids and babies and infants and animals and all. You know what God said? God said the Amalekites are going to come in. They're going to bring sin into Israel. We need to destroy it all. Folks, in our lives, when there's a sin out there, we need to kill it all. We need to get rid of all of it. Don't say, you know what, I... uh, I'm going to use my dad as an example. He he quit smoking probably 25 years before he before he passed away. And he smoked all his life from the time he was about 16. He told us one day, he was sitting up there at the store in Cooper, and he said, uh, ain't nobody going to say anything about me not smoking? You know, I ain't smoked in two months. Nobody's even noticed. And, and uh, mom said, oh, we noticed. I don't know if we did or not. She said, uh... He never went back to smoking, okay? I'll tell you that before I tell you this rest of the story. But uh, in his desk behind his, he had a desk, and he had another, and it faced the back wall. Mama opened the drawer. There was two pipes. He smoked a pipe. She said, what are these? He said, I'm hanging on to them just in case, you know? Well, I need something to fall back on. You know, I may may not completely whoop this thing. That's what we do with sin sometimes, isn't it? I'm going to get rid of all this sin, but... I'm going to hang on to just a little bit of it. I want to I keep just a little bit of it. I don't want to con- completely wreck it out. I don't want to throw the pipe away. It'll be gone. So look what Saul did. So, so this is verse 4. Saul summoned the men and mustered up at Talium, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. When, now this is the new army. Saul musters all these guys up. Saul went to the city of Amalekite, or Amal, and he set an ambush there in the ravine, and then he said to the Kenites, go away and leave the Amalekites, so I don't want to destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to Israel, and they come up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. So Ta- Saul attacked talked to Amalekites all the way from Hevah to Shur and the east of Egypt to Agag and took the uh, Amorites alive. What now? He took Agag, the king of Amor- the Amalekites, alive. Did you catch that? When we read the scriptures, sometimes, we just go right by it. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havan to Shur in the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive. And his all his people was totally destroyed by the f- sword. All other people, they were all destroyed by the sword. And Agag, the best of the sheep, and he, and he, but Paul spared the army. And Agag and the best of the sheep, the cattle, the fatty calves, the lambs, and everything that was good. He kept all those things. Though these were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything was despised and weak were destroyed totally. So everything that was weak, despised, unclean, whatever, they were all wiped out totally. Now look at verse 19. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Who is Samuel? God's representative. And Samuel said, uh, the Lord's word said, I am grieved that I have made Saul the king because he has turned away from me. He has not carried out my instruction. And Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. And he he was told Saul had gone to Carmel, Carmel. And uh, he set up on a mountain in his honor and turned and had gone down to Gilgal. Now, I I just stumbled through that, okay? Let me read that again. Early in the morning, Samuel got up, went to meet Saul. He was told that Saul had gone up to Camel where he had set up a mountain in his own honor. See what Saul did? (laughs) He said, man, I'm going to set me up a monument now. I just wiped out these kites, and I'm going to go up on this mountain. I'm going to set up this honor for me. Verse 13, when Samuel reached him Saul said, well bless you Samuel. Bless you in the Lord. I've carried out all of your instructions. But Samuel said what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? I hear something. Can you help me with that? Saul, what am I hearing? It sounds like sheep in the background I hear some lowing cattle too what's this I hear and Saul answered well the soldiers brought up from the Amalekites and they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle because we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord what, did, what was Saul just got through doing setting up, a, uh, setting up himself a, uh, where everybody say boy look at this great king he set a monument up for himself, but he says to Samuel, Hey, yeah, we brought back some stuff, but hey, we're going we're to give it to the Lord. We kept the best of the sheep, the cattle, the sacrifice of God, but we totally destroyed everything else, just like you said. Look at what Samuel said. Verse 16, he said, Stop! Samuel said to Saul, Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did, not become the head, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king over Israel. He had sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and, and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20, But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission just as the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. I brought back King Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder. The the rest was the best that there was and devoted them to God in order to sacrifice to the Lord, the God at Gilgal. So, So Saul said, hey, I did just what you told me to do. I was obedient. Now, I want you to catch this verse 22. Listen listen closely. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Verse 22. For rebellion is like sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as the king of Israel. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of my people, so I gave in to them. Isn't that interesting how many times, and we already see Saul doing this, it's never his fault. It's always somebody else. Samuel, you weren't here when you were supposed to be. Samuel got me this big old army. I was scared of what they were going to do to me. It's always, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. I was raised that way. I was in this environment. My home was this way. But Saul finally says, you know, I sinned against the Lord. I was afraid of the people. Now I beg you to forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I'll not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from your hands today and has been given to one of your neighbors who is better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie nor change his mind, For he is not a man that he should change his mind. And Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul. They worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him confidently, knowing that surely the bitterness of death is past. But Saul said, As the sword has made women children, so your mother will be childless among women. And Samuel put Agog to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Well, do you see the progression there? We go all the way back to chapter 13, and we see that Samuel slowly, uh, that Saul slowly started that slippery slope. He slowly started disobeying God. It started with something this simple: He made a sacrifice to God, but he was disobedient to God. So what can we learn from all this today? Well, I think there's a couple of lessons and we're out of time. If y'all will allow me about five minutes to finish up here. First of all, notice that obeying God is held higher than worship. Did you see that? Obeying God is actually held higher than worship. Verse 22, Does the the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice or the word of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice and listening to the fat of rams so so we need to understand this obedience if we say you know what i'm i'm a church goer i'm there every week i think you should be we talked about that last week because god says don't forsake that assembly of brethren i think it's a great time for us to fellowship for us to grow together as christians for us to grow in christ but god says you know what obedience is better it's better than worship Remember what John says. John fourteen fifteen says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." John fourteen twenty one. He says, "Whoever is, whoever keeps my commandments has them, and keeps them is he that loves me." Obedience to God shows our love for God. Sin or disobedience to God shows our love for self. When we obey God, that shows our love for God. When we are disobedient to God, it shows that we love ourselves more than we love God. We're going to stop there this morning, but I want to ask you to bow with me and uh, I want us to keep that thought this morning. You know that slippery slope. I'm not going to finish this next week, but, but we know what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. There's a slippery slope. When I grew up, grew up in McKinney down by old Woods Motel in a old two-story house where my grandmother lived. I, I lived in another house, but behind her house, there was a, a creek that run through there, and there was a big concrete uh, uh, culvert that went on the road, but on the one side of that culvert, it was about 15 feet long, and it was just a slanted piece of concrete, and that thing was covered with moss. We'd go down there as kids, and you could take one step, and boy, just like that, you'd slide to the bottom. It was a slippery slope. It started with one little step. You get your heel off on that and then away you would go. I slid down that thing so many times I wore the seat of my breeches out. That's true. You know what? When it comes to sin, there's a slippery slope. I'm not saying we're not going to sin anymore when we're Christians. We are. But we need to know that God says when we sin that we need to confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we take that next step, that slope, we get a little faster. And that next step, we get a little faster. And finally, we're on our bottoms and we're moving on the wrong direction. This morning, would you say, God, help me to see myself through your eyes. Help me to examine myself through your eyes that I might be found in faith. He says... This presumption is idolatry. He says this when we choose that slippery slope, it's the same thing as choosing that word in Hebrew means worship of idols and witchcraft. You know, Saul ended up going to a witch to get direction. God said it's the same thing. It's it's like witchcraft, it's like worshiping idols. And and we find Saul later in the book going before uh before a witch to get directions. Ungodly counsel, that's where that slippery slope leads to. Father, I pray this morning as we come to the time of close, Lord, I just—I uh, pray, Lord, that your word would be true in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we truly would understand that you desire obedience in your children, Father. We believe today the times are getting shorter. We believe that the beginning of the birth pains are started, Father. We, we believe that you have a perfect plan for us, for your church, Father. Lord, I pray that we'd trust wholeheartedly in you. I pray, Lord, that we'd not put our, our trust in any other thing, in government, in leaders, but Father, our trust would be in you. And Lord, we would follow you in obedience. Father, you, you tell us to go into your fields because they're white unto harvest. They are ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few. Lord, I pray that we'd be about your business bringing in the sheaves. We'd be about your business shining your light. We'd be about your business offering salt, flavoring, preservative in a world that's decaying. And Lord, we would follow you in obedience. Lord, I pray this morning as we examine ourselves, Father, if there'd be one here that your Holy Spirit would call them unto yourself this morning that Never accept you as a personal Savior, Father. I pray today would be the day of salvation. I pray that we wouldn't ask you to push us a little farther away, but Lord, we would come to you. We would serve you. We'd be obedient to you. Lord, if we have a time of invitation now, I pray that you'd direct all that we do in the name of Jesus. Amen.